in your corner, saving one investor at a time, working for clients, not companies, all while bullyproofing portfolios, totally committed to sharing academic truths about investing, always representing Main Street and not Wall Street. It's your Sound Money team, and this is the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. Hello and welcome to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth, and we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients and not companies. To receive your complimentary and personalized financial income plan, give us a call at 513-575-9654. If you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 403b, some type of employer-sponsored plan, even an NUA analysis, Here's the point. If you're no longer with the company, then as a rule, your money should not be there either. We can help you roll that out, take control of it into a tax-neutral IRA, whether it be traditional or Roth. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email, share your thoughts to team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. Greg? Well, today we're going to discuss the financial planning rules of thumb. And here's a question. Are they worth using? Beware of these financial planning myths that we'll share today and the rules of thumb when you're designing your plan, your custom plan that's specific to your needs. And there's a theme there. What do you really need for your purposes? You know, we're going to we're going to look at the withdrawal rates and ways to back into creating income and how much does it really take for retirement? You always hear about financial planning rules of thumb, such as the old four uh, percent withdrawal rule for income or trying to achieve or target 80 percent of what was your pre-retirement income. That also is one of those rule of thumb, thumb of rules out there. And, you know, to some degree, they're true, but there are things to be aware of. You know, it's important to have a track to run on, right? When it comes to retirement planning, don't just randomly run across the field and expect to cross the finish line and get a trophy. There needs to be a little more of a, of a process, a, a definition, a plan involved in that. And we want you to exercise at least a little bit of caution here and not put too much weight in any one of these financial rules, even that we're going over today, even though that each of them are true in and of themselves, which combination, if any, are to be applied to your situation well, that's ultimately what matters. How well do these work, you might ask? Well, would they work for all shapes and sizes of retirement portfolios out there, yours, your neighbors, uh, your family? How can you know if your personal situation that you have going on matches up well with any or each of these financial planning methods? Quite frankly, one rule of thumb, well, it may not work better for you than someone else, or it may be exactly what the doctor ordered or vice versa. So today we're going to want to talk about a few of these common rules of thumb and uh, we see them every day in the marketplace. They're being used and how we apply them and use them in our practice management. And we'll, we'll shed some light on how we may differ or we may um, round some corners off those rough edges to make it more uh, applicable and positive for the folks we work with. And, you know, we'd like to work with you. But how will you know which of these holds the merit that you need it to in order for you to succeed on purpose? So just some thoughts there. Speaking of thoughts, James. Oh, yes. The thought-provoking questions that tie into today's show. So for starters, do you really need a million dollars saved in order to retire comfortably? Hey, there's a point there. Yes, no, maybe. 
back to what you need, your income gap, and how to produce and cover that gap. How much money? What type of money? What type of assets? What type of investment style? What type of investments? You know, real estate, annuities, straight up market investments, personal notes to family and friends with simple interest returns. Watch out for that one, right? Um, when you loan money to friends and family, you always need to, um, well, there's a reason banks do what they do and how they do it, right? But what's what's mother's here? All right. What's the best way to determine how much you need to retire? Well, here's a hint. Not only your nest egg, but what you're budgeting, what your spending habits, those all factor into determining how much you actually do need to retire. Hey, James, don't you find people kind of look like a deer in the headlight when um, when you mention the word budget? What's your current budget? It's almost like I find ourselves approaching it more like that second part of that point you made, kind of avoiding the budget word and budget concept, because there are many people just have enough cash flow through accumulation years to just live the way they kind of want to live. And they have a little surplus and they save it. They're doing things for the company and they don't technically have a budget. So spending habits, however, all the time, we know that people can back into their budget by looking at their average monthly spend, their annual spend, picking up you know taxes and insurance payments every six months, adding it all together, divided by 12 and voila, they have a budget of sorts. Now they may need to trim it, or they may find that they're doing better than they thought, but they're going to find something. And that something's important to this step at this intersection and juncture of retirement planning, knowing your spending habits. And you're right. Sometimes it's as simple as or as general as this. Hey, I have a surplus on a monthly basis or we have a surplus on a monthly basis. Or maybe it's a little bit more dangerous than that. It's like, hey, we haven't run out of money yet. So true. Or they might say, Gosh, I hadn't thought about it, but um, you asked me what my net take-home pay is, what I actually, we bank out of our paychecks in our bank account, his and hers, add that together. And then James, if they answer that question that they have about, uh, you know, $500 surplus a month, and they just told you they have 5,000 that they're depositing each month. Well, guess what? They're living on about 4,500 a month, right? So we might put that in as their target income at retirement, or we might even look at and consider, can we do 80% of that? Uh, will they have their home paid off by retirement age or a few years into retirement that will expand uh, how much cash flow they have and lower their target income needs, decreasing the amount of income gap they have above Social Security versus what they really need, that difference being what we're out to solve for. So we'll help you get to that number. So don't think you yeah, can't come in and get help just because you don't have a budget. We'll get it done. We'll get there. So um well, think of this as like a two-part rule, which says, how much should you invest in stocks versus bonds? Or another way of phrasing that is, how does the age 100 rule work or the rule of 100? How does that work? How does that factor into determining my stocks to bonds ratio? Or should it be used? I would say, you know, the simple one there, if you're listening, don't don't scoff at or laugh at the concept of rule of 100. Take it as just a... a a thumb, well, a rule of thumb, thumbnail approach to measure, you know, 100 minus your age. If you're 60, 100 minus 60 is 40. 40 could be what some um, risk money. 60 could be the safer money. And if you have a pretty steady income, decent cash flow, not a huge target or gap of income to hit through investments, you can play it a little closer to the best and follow something like the rule of 100. And you'll be well served by it rather than just uh, you've always been a risk investor and you go all in the market. For all the years of your life, even if you can handle that and your cash flow can support it, it's not necessarily the best mathematically for you because you'll miss out of rebalancing and sh shifting from bonds to equities. Um, you know, catching volatility as your friend, not as your enemy. There are buying opportunities 
in correction territory, bear markets, and other movements that go negative in the market. They're not all negative to you if you're properly invested with a proper plan over the proper duration or period of time, which is the rest of your forever. And something that's reared its ugly head recently is inflation. So what types of assets should be owned in a portfolio as a hedge against inflation? What should I do or maybe what should I focus on first? Should it be paying off debt or saving for retirement? And can I get by, maybe the, the operative word here not is can I do it, but should I plan on getting by on 70% of my working income when it comes to what I have in retirement? How dramatically could expenses change over time, not only when you're planning for retirement, but you're actually in retirement? And when picking or choosing investments, how much reliance should I place on their track record, which is to say their past performance? As also another way of looking at this is what about market timing? Is that a thing or is that something that I should focus on as far as trying to time the market? And then finally, as Greg touched on a little bit earlier, could the 4% withdrawal rule keep me or keep the collective we from running out of money prior to running out of life? You know, that one's big. Uh, we know there's a study about a decade ago that the Wall Street number of 4% withdrawal rate or rule which just means if you have a million dollars in retirement and you're using it as a source of your primary supplemental income, 4% of a million is 40,000 a year. Well, we've had many shows discussing what that can mean to you. Like if you take the 4% on a million being 40,000, but the next year it pulls back, you know, there's a huge pullback and your, your million becomes 800,000. And you take 4% of that the following year, you're looking at 32,000. If you do the rule of 4%, well, what just happened? You went from 40,000 cash flow uh, down to 32. You lost $8,000 of spendable money minus inflation, too, or maybe I should say plus inflation as an even larger deficit. Just some thoughts. So, we're comfortable in our firm. We've always taken more of a practical approach when Wall Street took 4% down to 2.8 because they were doing so poorly. We've always been comfortable with 3, 3.5%, just staying in the range of prudence and then uh, helping you plan cash on a cash basis of need, not a percentage basis of need. We want to get you the money you need each year, regardless of the percentage way down against your investments. We'll keep it in the range it needs to be so, you know, you don't overwhelm the Alamo and, uh, you know, burn it to the ground and run out of money before you run out of life. But there are a lot of these that we're going to put a little um, brown financial advisor spin, your sound money investment team touch, rather than just these Wall Street black and white, take them as you will truths, because they're not very good applied as they are. They need some finesse. And that finesse needs to be in line with the custom needs of your plan and your situation. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us, we can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Money Assessment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC, the talk station. Opinions expressed are solely those of Brown Financial Advisors and should not be interpreted as specific advice. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified investment advisors prior to implementation. Market-based investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Insurance-based investments offer guarantees based upon the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. All insurance, tax, and mortgage services are offered through Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors. LLC. Brown Financial Advisors and Brown Insurance and Tax Advisors are affiliated companies and may only transact business in those states in which registered or were otherwise legally permitted. 
All right. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borth. And we are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients, not companies. That's Main Street and not Wall Street. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. And Greg, where we leave off? Well, today being financial planning rules of thumb, are they worth using, at least for you? In a sense, in a sense, like myth busting, used to be that show Myth Busters, they put something up as a concept, as a myth, try to prove it true or false. A lot of fun just watching them carry it out, um, you know, blowing stuff up. And, you know, there's a point for you, though. Can you afford to blow up your retirement because something that you thought was a truth ended up being nothing more than a myth? That's why we're diving in on this subject today. Uh, we have several of the financial planning rules of thumb that we're going to kind of hold up as true or false. And the truth really is they are standalone truths. It's just, are they true for you? And should they be used? Should they be used by you? Are they applicable for you and your situation? And where do they fall? When do, where do they fail? Where do they come short? You know, that is what it takes for you to find out when you come in and see us. Spend a little time, invest of your time. We'll invest time and resources in you. Uh, first appointment here, first meeting together. We just kind of look at all things you, the facts of your situation. We'll assess between our first and our follow-up appointment, uh, your current investments. You know, what are the spreads, fees, and margins and loads inside those? Are they aligned to a purpose? Do they fall inside the context of a plan? Do you have an overall financial plan? Within that, do you have an income plan? Do you have a plan to maximize Social Security or how to best take pensions and or lump sums and monthly pensions if you have a pension-based uh, plan? How do you maximize the ongoing contribution to match programs through your employer plan uh, to the extent that you should participate? If they're not matching, should you actually contribute? All this will come together for then goals-based planning. What do you want to do when you retire? Where do you want to go? Is there a second home? Is there an RV? Is it traveling more with the children and family and making, you know, memories and life experiences with uh, children and grandchildren? Um, what, what is it you want to achieve? Where are you now? Wherever you are now, we want to make most efficient and we want to stitch it in line with your future objectives, connect those dots, get you on the right track. And keep maintaining that until you reach that finish line. And you know the finish line at retirement, leaving the workforce, leaving accumulation, going to distribution phase and preservation phase, where you pay yourself back their own money and make sure that your money is growing enough, but safe enough that it can complete the mission. Yeah, it's not really a finish line, is it? It's a fresh start, a fresh start of the remaining 20 to 30 years of your life where you're constructively and intentionally unemployed. We are here to help, help in the area of investment management and investments, financial planning, income planning, estate planning, insurance advisory, because, you know, there's things you need to protect, like some of your nest egg. People insure their bodies to cars, their homes. Why not insure some part of your money against loss? Just why not? Why? Because brokers and Wall Street say that fully insured investments on your money, some part of your money are bad. Any part of your money is bad. Well, I think they're bad, quite frankly, and you should stop listening to them. Okay, so you go a little further into that and we look at taxes, tax advisory, tax preparation, tax planning. Taxes are kind of um, onerous right now on the horizon. Looks like some some changes are coming down the pike that are going to they're going to put a pinch on people with money who saved hard, worked hard and invest well, who have things called gains, capital gains. Hey, your head's on the on the on the plate right now. 
It's coming at you. Increased taxable gains rates. Look out for them. Now, we don't know, you know what they're going to be. They're going to be higher, though. What's the plan for that? How do you get your IRA and 401k IRAs that have never been taxed into a tax-friendly or tax-free situation so later in life when the taxes are even crazier, you can take a dollar out and spend a dollar and laugh all the way to the bank versus the other version of yourself that didn't take advice, didn't heed the reality of the situation. Been doing it yourself so long, you just keep doing it yourself. I'm telling you what, this is the financial phase of life. You ought to have a practitioner, someone who specializes in it to protect you against that stuff out there. And even to some extent, protect you against yourself too. So I don't mean to sound edgy or hard. That's just some, that's just some truth. There's a rule of thumb for you. So we want to see here that what factors are meaningful. Do you need a million dollars? What does your age have to do with how you should be invested? What bond versus stock ratio should you have and why? It's not as intricate as it sounds when it's in the hands of the people that know how to wire this box. Now, rule of thumb. We may be left, lost yet at the, at the gate here with rules of thumb. James, just simplify rule of thumb for us as it relates to money and markets. Well, look, the definition, and this is from Investopedia, which is, you know, it's on the Internet. It's, it's still a nice website when it comes to de-jargonizing some of these financial terms. But a rule of thumb is an informal piece of practical advice providing simplified rules that apply in most situations. Does it apply in all situations? No. Does it apply in most situations? Again, keyword there is most. Yes. And there are many rules of thumb in finance that do give guidance on how much to save, how much to pay for a house, how to invest. But keep this in mind, the rules of thumb are not necessarily scientific and they do not take into account the individual keyword here, individual circumstances and the needs of a specific person. So they may not be acceptable or applicable to your particular situation. Now that's a disclaimer for you. But unlike Wall Street, we're not trying to run away from you and drop you with a disclaimer that gets us off the hook from actually helping you. To the contrary, that is important stuff right there. Since it's not scientific, it doesn't take into account the individual circumstances and needs of you, the person. We want you, the person, to come in. It's complimentary. You'll get a complete, comprehensive financial plan and all the income planning, all the assessment of current investments, everything to make you more efficient. We will share everything in terms of recommendations with you without uh, a penny. Leave your wallet and purse at home because you'll get everything we can share with you of value so that you can make a knowledgeable, fact-based decision on whether or not we should work together. All the costs will be clear. We're very cost-friendly. We're consumer investor-friendly or we wouldn't be here. Take us up on this offer. Complimentary. That still means free. Uh, one meeting to assess, second meeting to share. We'll lay it all on the table and like to get started helping you today. Wish we could do it yesterday. Hey, and if you have a variable annuity product, one of those annuities that's variable holding mutual funds, come see us. You need to come see us. Most of those are going to explode. They are not what they need to be for you. They're not what you think they are in most cases. They're chock full of costs that you cannot afford for the rest of your duration of your retirement. And if you haven't retired yet and you have them, run to our office. Call us today. Hey, maybe there's a slight chance it'll work for you. Maybe there's a slight chance you have one that defies uh, our experience in assessing how poorly placed and positioned those types of products are by Wall Street for you. Now, we're Main Street fighting alongside you, and we'll help you fine-tune your plan. We'll help you pick out and throw out the elements of your financial planning and approach that don't belong there. Someone else put them there, and if you knew all you need to know about it, you would never have had them or hosted them in your financial plan. We need to get the lead out. 
and get you with your foot on the accelerator so you can have a prosperous retirement with the right speed and duration throughout the rest of your forever. James, some examples of what would be what, how did you label these rules of thumb in a way that's more meaningful? Well, not only are they rules of thumb, but some of them are actually, I would say, healthy financial habits. And the first one, which is a very important one, is pay yourself first. So think of this tool as a rule that says, here's how we want you to think as far as getting on the right line of how to properly plan, prepare for retirement. So start with this, pay yourself first. That means if you're still working, you have W-2 wages coming in, or if you're self-employed, the same advice applies to you. So for example, save at least 5%, maybe preferably 10 or 15% of your take-home pay for retirement. That means contribute to your plan at work. That means if you're self-employed, start and contribute to a SEP IRA or something similar to a SEP IRA. Self-employed pension is typically how we describe that particular type of an IRA. And also take advantage of what basically is free money at work. That means if your employer is matching any part of your contributions, but you don't contribute, you effectively then are turning down a raise. Because if you do a contribution, your employer matches, say, 3 to 5% of that contribution, then that is how you get employer money to pay also into your retirement account at work. So in this area of pay yourself first, you've given two major examples. One is you literally taking from net take-home pay, putting a good chunk or percentage, somewhere between 5, 10, 15%, the more the merrier, right? A way for your future. And then the second was leveraging any uh, employer-based plans that are available where they're matching contributions. Now, there are more. We're going to give you the high-level healthy financial habits summaries. Then we'll dive in deeper as we continue here. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. But stay tuned. You're listening to the Sound Mind Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC. The talk station. Hello and welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm, he's Greg Brown. <laughs> I'm James Borth. We are an independent RIA, which is a registered investment advisory firm. We do work for clients, not companies. And it really does all start with having a plan. That means knowing what you own and why you own it. So whether you're seeking advice on an old 401k, 403b, IRA rollover, investment planning, retirement planning, income planning, tax planning, all these have one thing in common, which is planning. It's part of the retirement planning process. Social security maximization, Roth conversion analysis, all the more important with the tax landscape as it's changing. Anyway, analysis, for some folks, even an in-service rollover can be applicable. All these and more, we can help. 513-575-9654. Visit our website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. All right. We are continuing with financial planning rules of thumb. And sorry there for that Johnny Carson-like entrance, you know, where Johnny would be behind the curtain trying to find his way in onto the studio stage. Um, I just, I missed that show. It was, it was filled with great memories, great guests, lots of fun, lots of funnies. The things, James, that you and I probably watched 
and saw in that show when we were kids with our parents watching it. We're probably up later than we should. We probably shouldn't be watching it, but they give us a free pass on Johnny Carson. Oh, yeah. The younger yeah. folks are like, who's Johnny Carson? That's right. You have to, you have to Google him. And, and equally, all the guests he hosted and how funny they were. But there were a lot of innuendos. There are a lot of almost truths and things to pick up on. And if you're old enough to pick up on them, they meant something different than if you weren't. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of uh, shop talk when it comes to money markets, financial terms, terminology, uh, just buzz words and bullet phrases that come out that fly above people's head or people will think they got it, get it good and try to apply it. And it was never meant for them. So that's what this is about. And so we go through these, uh, as James termed them, healthy financial habits. I like that much better even than rules of thumb, because what's healthy for you may not be healthy for someone else. Right. So we talked about pay yourself first. Now, what about pay down high interest rate debt? Now, notice not all debt must be paid down or paid off. OK, there can be healthy forms of debt that'll fly in the face of some uh, other people and their opinions. But it's really always about cost of money, cash flow, purpose of money and higher purpose of money. If you can do something uh, with a higher purpose, higher return, better benefit with some of your money and all it costs you is a very low cost of money to do it, then you can create an arbitrage. You can, in fact, become your own bank by positioning money properly to where you have a lower cost of acquisition of capital and a higher return on its deployment. That difference is all yours. But specifically paying down high interest rates of debt that are cumbersome, that drag you down that reduce cash flow, the healthy aspects of cash flow, causing stress. They're just a burden. It's hard for you to overcome. Things have to go just right for you to keep this going on so that you can cover the cost of the debt, the higher cost of money, so you can keep your cash flow moving and your lifestyle on track. That's the kind of stuff we got to get out of the way. Spend less on interest by paying down the debt that costs you the most. Now, if you want to eliminate debt, yeah, we can go into the snowball type strategies and you know, you, you, you pick one, you pay it off, you take the money you're paying on that plus the money you're paying all the others and pick another one and kind of bully it down till you paid it off. And it just snowballs. We kind of I'd rather call it the avalanche. I mean, this no one no one person ever created any of these one concepts. They just kind of evolved over the course of human history as it relates to finance. But finding the debt that's toxic, we can help you assess which ones need to go, what sequence they need to go, what rate of speed they need to go away at, and then which ones you might keep on board because they're actually healthier than they might appear. And then creating a safety net. You should have an emergency fund equal to three to six months worth of household expenses. But that doesn't mean it has to be holed up inside a paper bag in, in the linen closet or your freezer. It can be deployed at a low risk. And you can have some cash at the bank, and then uh, there could be three to four months of this same number that's in a very conservative investment that's held liquid in case you need it. But is it mothballed losing to inflation? Because if you're not careful, you'll take your emergency money, oversimplify it, think you just need to leave it all in cash and a money market or checking your savings, and you will lose money. Well, how can I lose money, Mr. Brown? I've got money in the bank. A dollar last year is a dollar this year if I didn't spend it, right? The market ain't going to take it. No. Cost of living, inflation. You can lose three to six percent now as inflation's starting to uptick. You can lose three to six percent on your money guaranteed year after year that you thought was perfectly safe because you've lost purchase power. We need to talk about things as simple as what to do with your safety net and emergency funds, what debts to pay, how to pay yourself first. James? Here's another way of thinking about that. Are the funds that you're 
saving for some type of emergency, are they liquid within an hour or liquid within a week? So for example, if it's in your local bank, it's liquid within an hour, usually. If it's in a brokerage account, for example, then it's liquid within one week. That means worst case scenario, it takes five business days for the money to go from the custodian, such as your Schwab, your TD Ameritrade, to your checking and savings account at your local bank. That's the length of time it typically takes worst case scenario to move from point A to point B. So once again, that three to six months, maybe some of it, maybe all of it is liquid within an hour, but a vast majority of that could be redeployed, as Greg mentioned, and then you're still at worst case liquid within a week to get access to those emergency funds in case that emergency actually does occur. Now, if you do think you need all of it liquid within an hour, then there's a problem. Yes. All right. So home purchase, how much should you buy? How much house can you afford? Again, as a rule of thumb, or maybe one of these healthy habits, as far as financial habits is concerned, consider this. The purchase price should be an amount equal to about two, maybe two and a half years of your annual income. That's like saying, can I afford to buy this house? Yes. We understand the housing market right now is kind of crazy. So, you know, maybe two and a half instead of the two years is maybe how should apply that particular rule. Next one, we delve into the concept of life insurance. Now, life insurance can have many different forms and purposes, but in general, it's what we think of as basically death insurance. What happens to, you know, the family in case the main breadwinner happens to pass away? So, yes, death insurance have at least five times your gross salary in life insurance death benefits. Now, you know, we can talk about the suitability of life insurance, but that's a different topic for a different day. But if this is a suitable investment, then the concept of life insurance also should have as part of the conversation, how much life insurance? Yeah. I was thinking there when you're, you're, you're looking at some things that cost some money, a home purchase, how much should you buy in a home? You know, two and a half years, your annual income, that was that thing you threw down, but it's going to cost a monthly payment unless you pay cash. Um, what about life insurance? If you need it, there are purposes for it. What is the appropriate use? It could be replacement income in case you die too soon and don't finish your retirement planning and savings. And there's a mortgage to pay off and your your loved one's going to be faced with, you know, insurmountable debt. And you're trying to solve for that. Later in life, it can be to... Um, pay off taxes on money that's tax deferred, like an IRA or 401k, so that your beneficiaries can have the tax bill paid and receive the majority of your state um, without the burden of taxation. Somewhere in between is you're in accumulation phase, you're five to 10 years away from retirement or further, and you want to use life insurance as a way to overfund so that cash, the cash value inside the account can be borrowed against as a loan later in retirement, tax-free as a tax-free source of cash flow. And then the death benefit pay off the loan when you eventually do, in fact, die. There's so many ways that make up just that term appropriate. Just well, something else, too. If some of the changes do get passed that, that the Biden administration is proposing, life insurance will become much, much more important to be a part of people's financial lives, especially the ones who may have an issue when it comes to paying estate taxes. So, yes, one of the major tax increases that is perhaps looming on the horizon is the potential of estates being subject to much greater degrees of taxation just upon death, much less having to sell assets. But, you know, we're, we're going to wait and have that actually come to pass before we say this is what you should go out and buy. 
yes, keep that in mind. Good way to, if step-up basis is, is thrown out and you inherit the cost basis of money you inherit from the people you benefit by, like someone buys a house for 100000 when they die, it's worth a million. You inherit it. It's worth that million, but you get a tax bill of 900000 because there's no such thing as step-up basis anymore. You will wish that that person who left you that $900,000 gain had also included a life insurance death benefit that paid tax-free a majority, if not all the taxes, as part of their assets that they've accumulated and prepared. But since some of these things cost money, even how to invest into the market cost cash flow, well, you have to track your spending. So make sure you know where your money's going every month. So just keep that in mind. It'll help you with so much of this because the stock market, it has a long-term average, you might say, return of 10%. But and that can vary over 10-year periods, right? The average shifts upward and downwardly. A balanced portfolio, you could consider to be 60% stocks, 40% bonds. So earlier, we mentioned the rule of 100. Your age represents the percentage of bonds you should have in your portfolio. So 100 minus 60 would say 60% in stock, 40% in bonds. No, the other way around. Your age represents the safer money. So 100 minus 60 means 60% bonds, 40% stock. Okay, You might feel that you should be 50-50. You might feel a lot of things. This isn't about feeling. This is about math, the science of income, income planning, and you succeeding. Okay, The converse is your age subtracted from 100 represents the percentage of stocks you should have in your portfolio. So as mentioned, 100, 100 minus 60. 60 is the percentage of bonds and fixed income. The other number, the residual number, is the amount in stocks. That's not a fixed rule. The rule as it applies to you is something we need to work out and look at together. There's more. There's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us. We can help. Well, stay tuned. You're listening to The Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors here on 55KRC. Detox Station. Welcome back to the Sound Money Investment Show with Brown Financial Advisors. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm James Borthen. We are a registered investment advisory firm. We are independent. We do work for clients and not companies. Our phone number, 513-575-9654. Website, brownfinancialadvisors.com. Email, team at brownfinancialadvisors.com. And our home office is in Milford, but we also have locations in Blue Ash, Westchester, and Florence. And Greg? Well, on the financial planning rules of thumb, we covered... A big intro. We went through some high-level things on a bulleted basis. We talked about some of the, uh, you know, thought-provoking questions, and some of those questions are some of the elements we're going to kind of conclude with in our remaining segment time today. And one that we hear a lot of, you know, what is it exactly I'm going to need? We are going to need as working income, James. What's where do these numbers come from that we hear so often? These percentages of the income you're making while working. Well, I think the assumption is that when you retire, you're going to spend less than when you're working. And that may be a good assumption. You know, it's an assumption nevertheless, but it may not be quite so good or quite as productive because here's maybe the way to think about this. If you are looking at a 70% number as far as what you're going to be spending, that's almost like saying you have a 30% reduction in your standard of living. Is that exactly how you want to live your your golden years, your retirement years. So think about maybe from the standpoint of you probably need to replace the same income level or that's what you should plan on replacing is the same level of income as what you had while you were still working. 
a couple considerations there. That's true. Let's say 70% is your number. And like you just heard James say, you're now trying to acknowledge that's a 30% decrease in something, right? Well, let's take a close look with a flashlight in a dark corner of the room on this one. If we go closer to it and say, okay, you're not working, so you're not making the same deductions um, through your paycheck, through deferred savings, employer plans, 401k contributions, maybe the cafeteria plan of the benefits that go beyond health insurance only, you're pretty much living a stripped down version of yourself to where you're without those deductions, you know, from your pay, what is your real net pay? Your net pay may be closer to this 70% number than not. So that's the first good thing to kind of reconcile with. The next is other expenses you may not have as many of anymore. You know, they may not need as much use of the second car, the same trips and mileage and gas. Your daily habits will begin to modify more from daily work to daily play. And it becomes more discretionary. Now, therein lies, once we solve that 70% might be a good number based on your net pay, then we start ramping up this whole other consideration that James is heading down the alley of, of, you know, you're about to be retired for 20 or 30 years. What might change that means that 70% isn't enough? So when you go through some of those variations, what retirement looks like. Oh, yeah. Different expenses that may start ramping up, such as medical expenses. Instead of having employer-sponsored health insurance, now you're spending your money on 100% of you funding your health insurance, at least for most people. There are some retirees who still have benefits of retirement health insurance plans where there is some type of co-payment of those overall health insurance premiums. But by and large, once you reach Medicare age, you are on Medicare insurance. Medicare is an individual insurance plan, so you are individually paying 100% of your insurance premiums. Now, that being said, with a good Medicare insurance plan, whether it be Medicare supplement for some, Medicare Advantage for others, notice that we didn't say just original Medicare. So in other words, you should always have one of those two models of health insurance, Medicare supplement or Medicare Advantage, which would cap and greatly reduce your overall out-of-pocket expenses when it comes to health care or health insurance expenses. And some people shop a little deeper on some vision plans and dental too. And prescription drug plans. All relative to your cash flow. So what is the right number for you? What percentage of working income do you need to replicate in retirement to live comfortably? Great question. Come in and let's work through that. And James, that's that's even before we get into the more discretionary aspect of spending during retirement. What are you going to do with your time? What are you going to do with your money? How much money will it take to buy the things you like to do? Oh, yes. Every day is a Saturday, correct? When you spend the most money when you're working is typically on the Saturdays and the Sundays, the weekends. And now it's almost as if all of your days are like their weekends. Every day is a Saturday. So what are your what are your hobbies? What are your habits? Is it going to be traveling? Is it going to be golfing? Is it going to be boating? I know the acronym for a boat means break out another thousand, but yes. nevertheless, that can be a fun yet expensive habit to get into. Greg, any other thoughts about discretionary spending habits? I'm still stunned, traumatized, and needing group therapy on that boat thing. It is indeed. It's it's uh, whatever your passion is. Don't don't uh, be afraid to pursue it. Just be sure to budget for it and bring out another thousand, James. Many people out there listening right now, you know, tend to have a front-loaded income plan. Okay, what does that mean? You desire to spend more money while you're still young and able. So part of our planning process is to validate that you can do that and to what extent. 
What, what does it mean again? It means that over the next, say, the next 20 years from the day you retire for the following two 10-year periods thereafter, maybe you're looking at because you're, you're thriving and you're alive and you're younger and able to do more and uh, in a position to do more that the first 10 years, we need to plan more income front loaded from your investments and sources of income and assets that can produce income. Then we would try to produce in the following 10 years, or then we would produce in the final say 10 years, not to bring finality uh, into this discussion, but you know, are you going to be here 15, 20, 25, 30 years? Well, Therein lies another issue, longevity. We don't know. So we need to be careful how we plan. But it's not uncommon for people to look at front-loading um, their income plan for the retirement, uh, young and able and fresh to do so. The thought process may be that you'll slow down, spend less, uh, and live on more of a fixed income lifestyle later on. And your hedge against inflation might be that you don't need increases in income year over year thereafter. You're decreasing what you're spending. So it's kind of like an inverted inflation adjustment. You just, you have more cash flow just because you're doing less with it, but uh, you'll need to, you need to definitely, the things to think that you may not be spending on your working years, uh, as James mentioned, health insurance, long-term care, fighting inflation when you have uh, income that you have to produce inflation uh, offsets. It's not your employer giving you an increase at, in wage to help with inflation. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. It's up to you and us to get you to stay where you need to be and be happy, healthier, and financially well-tuned. We think a better method overall, though, is to plan for how much monthly income you want to come in, then plan to have that amount adjusted for inflation and increased in an appropriate amount over time. And then if you run through your desired lifestyle uh, and the expenses that go with that, it's possible your income will need to be the same, if not more, than your working career. So this is an important thing. to. This is like... In getting married, you go to premarital counseling and you go through all the things that the, the priest or clergy or pastor already knows are going to be stumbling blocks for you that no one wants to talk about in the honeymoon phase. Well, this is an area of fine tuning how much income tied to what purposes, giving your money job descriptions so you can succeed at this because you won't get many chances to do this right. You understand that? Now, when it comes to the withdrawal rate and going back to the 4% rule as a rule, it also matters greatly on what type of an account this is. For example, what's the tax status of the account? Is it an IRA? Is it a non-IRA? If you're looking at an IRA, a traditional IRA, you'd also take into account the taxes that need to be paid to Uncle Sam, states of Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, because now we're looking at not the gross, but the net. What was the gross if it's a million dollars and you're in a 20% overall tax bracket, your net's more like $800,000. So that's another way of thinking about this, too, is what is the gross and also what is the net? The tax status can have a dramatic impact on the efficiency of what you're withdrawing from the different types of retirement accounts. So that's why the 4% rule needs to also take into account tax status of the accounts, as well as how much you're taking out on a percentage basis from those retirement accounts. Greg? I'm just thinking um, this, this, this right here is a scary thought. Recent studies have shown that the rule of thumb of the 4% withdrawal rate is fundamentally flawed and simply isn't applicable in today's economy and stock market. What's that say in simple English? It may be just enough to try to offset cost of living adjustments, not actual increases in expenses by hobbies and discretionary choices that you make. It's basically saying it's hard to actually increase and grow your money and keep up with inflation if you don't have the right plan, the right mix of investments. So 
Um, the rule of, you know, the rules that assume a proper mix of stocks and bonds to drive the right amount of income, the right amount of safety, shock absorption against market corrections, and the amount of assets to produce the correct level of income and growth over time. That's the winning formula. Just what are the ingredients for your best recipe? That's what you need to come see us about as soon as possible. And the efficiency of drawing income from different types of accounts, such as from a good fixed index annuity versus a market-based account, that can also have a dramatic impact on the outcome of your retirement success. Yeah, guaranteed versus not guaranteed. There's more, there's much more. Our phone number at the office, 513-575-9654. Again, 513-575-9654. Call us, we can help. And on behalf of Greg, myself, James, and Barry, thank you for listening today. Have a great week and remember this, sound money where good things are believable, achievable, and true for you.